Freakonomics Radio is sponsored by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Get a quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Freakonomics Radio is sponsored by Cars.com. Have you heard about the Your Garage feature on Cars.com? Here's how it works. You add your car to your garage to track its market value and cash in when the time is right to sell. Track both your car's historical and projected value. When it's time to sell, easily secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Marriage, or as it's sometimes called, marriage, is what brings us together today. It is an institution unlike any other in human history. One could imagine there are countless reasons why two people would marry. So we asked some people in New York City, Atlanta, Minneapolis, and San Francisco why they got married or why they want to get married. We got married because we love each other. To have a family, to probably continue with the uh, tradition. It's great. It's liberating. There's a whole world out there that unmarried people don't realize. To experience life well. To be happy. Being part of a community, part of a household, part of a marriage. I think it's just the right thing to do. when I got married. I didn't know any better. I think it was what I was supposed to do. Thankfully, I haven't regretted it yet. <laughs> In India, it is a social thing to get married. I'm Catholic, so uh, tradition is a big part of our lives. I guess I don't really see why I wouldn't get married. It was the right thing to do to raise a family, I thought. Finances is a big part of it, especially living in a trusty area because it's so expensive. His uh, visa was expiring, and so it was either pay for him to go out of the country to get a new visa, or we could get married and have a party. <laughs> we were in love, and then she got pregnant, and it seemed like the right thing to do. She was a Lithuanian girl. Not exactly green card, but it was a decision I had to make up on eye pretty quick. We came from broken families, so we were sort of determined uh, not to repeat the same mistakes both our parents made. She's a surfer chick from L.A., and I liked her. We just finally decided it was easier to conform. Why should I make? Yikes. That's something my mom asks me all the time. <laughs> From WNYC, this is Freakonomics Radio, the podcast that explores the hidden side of everything. Here's your host, Stephen Dubner. On today's program, we're talking about an institution that Americans in particular love. Americans love marriage. 
That's Justin Wolfers. He's an economist at the University of Michigan and the Brookings Institution. Wolfers says that Americans, especially when you compare them to Canadians, the French, the Germans, the Italians, the British, and the Swedes, especially the Swedes, compared to all of them, Wolfers says, Americans, they marry earlier, they marry more often, <laughs> and more of them get married. So does this mean that marriage is more popular than ever in the United States? It most definitely does not. We'll get into that later. For now, let me know that Wolfers himself is importantly not married, technically at least. It could be my essential Australianness. I mean, there is actually quite seriously, in many other countries, there is a competing institution to marriage, cohabitation. And it's a huge competitor to marriage in countries like Sweden. And increasingly in Australia as well. Many of my high school friends are not formally married, um, but they live as husband and wife. So Wolfers, an Australian who's lived for many years in the U.S., is one of those cohabitors with children. The person he cohabits with happens to also be an economist, Betsy Stevenson, who's currently serving on President Obama's Council of Economic Advisors. So I met Betsy while I was in graduate school. Um, you know, it's a very standard thing that happens in economics. You see the cute girl across the room at the Labor Economics Seminar. It's how many great relationships form. Just the way they draw um, it up in all the great romantic novels, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, later that week was Halloween. There was a Halloween party. So I brought a six-pack of Newcastle Brown, which um, at the time took a big chunk of my student budget. <laughs> and um, this rather brazen lass came and took one of them um, and struck up a conversation. And I knew she was an economist, which sets anyone's blood racing straight away. <laughs> yes. And what did what was it like for you as the man in the modern era to be um, courting a woman who you knew would be at least your equal professionally? Yeah. Boy, it's the smartest thing I ever did. Because <laughs> I get to see Betsy's paycheck every couple of weeks. <laughs> And I could have had a 1950s partnership mm -hmm. with some other lass mm -hmm. <laughs> who would have a very different paycheck. Um, so this choice pays off. So you're a total mercenary. You, you just sold yourself to the highest bidder, essentially, it sounds like, Justin. We all do, Stephen. <laughs> it's just whether we admit it and the currency in which we count it. Now, I know that you're not not serious, but I also know that, that you were thinking beyond the amount that she would contribute financially to your household bottom line. Right. Um, right. What was I thought it? she'd be fascinating. Okay. What did you love about her? Um, this is a family show, isn't it, Steve? <laughs> it's okay. We, um, have a, we have a great bleep button here. <laughs> Going to graduate school in economics is an incredibly intense experience. I know that sounds strange to say, but it's, it's, it's a transformational, intense, intense experience. And I had someone who I could share it with, mm. who understood what I was going through, who had great notes, by the way, that I could study from. <laughs> um, and we could talk about our passions. Ah, they could talk about their passions. This, according to Wolfers, is one of the big changes in marriage. Think about all the reasons that people have historically married. Out of love, sure, but also in order to have children together, in order to have sex together. People marry to fulfill a religious impulse or a traditional impulse, maybe a financial impulse. So here's the story I tell. 
Um, and actually, I should say Weetle, my partner and co-author, Betty Stevenson, I tell. There was a model of marriage that we all believed in in the 1950s. Um, we saw it on um, Leave it to Beaver. Oh, it's sort of traditional, I guess. Uh, you know, they say a woman's place is in the home, and uh, I suppose as long as she's in the home, she might as well be in the kitchen. This was the style of marriage that um, Gary Becker first described. It's this idea of marriage as sort of like a, a factory. Um, and the point is you get married because you can do more together than you can apart. And it's just like Adam Smith's pin factory. The way you do more together is by specialising. And the specialisation was dad would go and work in the market and mum would stay at home and do the enormously complex part of running a household. And she would be really, really good at it because she's got a lot of practice. She'd be much better at it than dad. And as a result, the pie is bigger for both of them. So marriage is productive, and it makes mum and dad both better off. So marriage used to create, in economist speak, productive complementarities. This meant that a man, the CEO of the household, wanted a spouse who could do the things he didn't do, most of which involved running the household. But as we all know, a lot has changed in the past few decades, especially for women, better birth control, more labor-saving devices in the home, and a lot more work outside the home. So the share of married women who are employed has risen from 6% in 1900 to 30% in 1960 to nearly 70% today. We've moved to what economists would call consumption complementarities. We have more time, more money, and so you want to spend it with someone that you'll enjoy, so someone with similar interests and passions. We call this the model of hedonic marriage, but really it's a lot more familiar than that. This is just economists giving a jargon name to love. So you want someone actually who's remarkably similar to you or has similar passions that you do. So it fundamentally changes who marries who. But that's not the only change it produces. And so then the, the question is, why does anyone get married anymore if these productive complementarities have gone away? Yes, that is the question. Why do we still get married? We live in a country where people don't want to be locked into a two-year cell phone contract. So why opt for a 30- or 40- or 50-year monogamous partnership? Now, one reason is a belief that marriage makes us happy. We hear that a lot, that married people are, on average, happier than the non-marrieds. Is that true? Most people get this wrong. Um, <laughs> It turns out, at any point in time, the people who are married are happier than the people that are not married. People then infer from that, oh boy, marriage must make you happy. But the alternative explanation is um, reverse causation. If you're grumpy, who the hell wants to marry? <laughs> and so this is selection effects. I think this is really important because you know, selection effects, that people who are married are selected, they're not a random group of the population, is something that economists and statisticians talk about all the time. And so it seems to me to be completely obvious that the grumpy, the hard to employ, um, the uh, the selfish would all be far less likely to be marriageable and therefore less likely to be married than others. And we actually see that married people look better on almost every dimension, life expectancy as well, the healthier, um, than non-married people. But I think almost all of that is because spouses are looking for happy, healthy, um, functional people. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, that makes sense. Happy, healthy, functional people are more likely to get married, which makes it seem as if marriage itself is responsible when maybe it's not. But if all these happy, healthy, functional people are marrying each other, why is the divorce rate so high? For years, we've all heard that half of all marriages end in divorce. Is that true? Coming up on Freakonomics Radio, we find out. I cannot tell you, there's not a week goes by when I don't read in the major newspaper that in a period of rising divorce, we've got to do something. And how is marriage doing overall? I wouldn't say uh, that marriage is still the institution that it once was. Marriage is... It's a big commitment. It's comfortable. You enjoy being with that one person. And you don't have to worry about a date. (laughs) I would love to get married. I think it's kind of ridiculous sometimes. I, I feel like I should get married. I don't think I should get married. Freakonomics Radio is sponsored by Canva. Supercharge your work with AI-powered Magic Write in Canva Docs. You can just describe what you want to say in a few words, and Magic Write will generate a draft in seconds. You can use it for sales proposals, marketing plans, job descriptions, meeting agendas, you name it. Tweak your draft, and you're done. It is a serious time saver and the perfect way to beat the blank page. Generate your draft with Canva Docs at canva.com designed for work. Freakonomics Radio is sponsored by Redfin. Whether you need to buy or sell a home or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin has got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like so you can find the home that's just right for you. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours even the same day with a local Redfin agent. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents get you the best price possible for your home. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. Freakonomics Radio is sponsored by Marriott. Town Place Suites by Marriott has all the comforts of home. Cook up a meal in a full kitchen, unpack and stay organized with the in-room alpha closet system, plus bring your pet and have your best friend by your side. Town Place Suites by Marriott has all the amenities you need to feel at home during your stay. Find the comforts of home at Town Place Suites. Go there with Marriott Bonvoy. From WNYC, this is Freakonomics Radio. Here's your host, Stephen Dubner. On today's show, we're talking about marriage, and we are asking, with so many changes to society over the past century or so, why people still marry. After all, we've heard for years that half of all marriages end in divorce. 
with the divorce rate as it currently is, like, so high. I'm divorced. <laughs> and do I want to get married again? No. I think divorce is really scary and with how common it is these days. So is it true that divorce is so frightfully common today? False. In fact, almost everything you hear about divorce is false. <laughs> That's The Economist Justin Walters. I cannot tell you, there's not a week goes by when I don't read in the major newspaper that in a period of rising divorce, we've got to do something. Guess what? Divorce has been falling for 30 years. Reached a peak in either 1979 or 1981, depending on how you want to count, and it's fallen each and every year since. We live in a period of more stable divorces than our parents. That's right. The rate of divorce is lower in the U.S. today than it's been since 1970. Now, why is that? So the great and terrible thing for social scientists is the overwhelming fact is divorce rose sharply through the late 60s and early 70s. Guess what? A lot of other stuff changed through the late 60s and early 70s. And that means every social scientist just picks their favorite ill and mm-hmm. says it's due to that. You know, it's due to <laughs> feminism, it's due to women in the workplace, it's TV, due to uh, declining use. masculinity, mm-hmm. TV, <laughs> crime, um, the loss of conservative social values, uh, changing laws, um, ABBA music. Um, <laughs> it's Abba's <Yeah>. fault. <laughs> So Justin Wolfers doesn't really have an answer for why divorce rose so much in the 1960s and 70s, but he does think he knows why it's fallen since then. I think the primary driver of the lower divorce rate is my generation partnered with people with whom they had shared interests and passions. So they partnered with the right people for the style of marriage they end up living in. Um, So it's not just that we love our partners, but we actually chose a partner who was compatible with the way we're actually going to live our lives. It was my mother's generation who got stuck with, they bought the wrong partner, then life turned out different. Pardon my interruption and my personal question, but shall I assume then that your parents got divorced? My parents got divorced. My parents are part of the spike in divorce. And that's because your mother was married in an era where her opportunities were just emerging, but they hadn't been evident to her at the time of her choice. Or maybe they wouldn't have been socially acceptable even at the time of her choice. She thought she would be a homemaker or maybe a teacher sometimes. Uh, My mother is now an entrepreneur. So when you hear that the divorce rate is lower today than it's been since 1970, that sounds like an unmitigated victory, right? But it's not that simple, depending on what set of numbers you're talking about. If you look at the rate of divorce per 1,000 people in the U.S., that has fallen about 33 percent since 1979. If, however, you look at the divorce rate per 1,000 married couples, it's fallen substantially less, about 27 percent. Now, what does that mean? Here's Claudia Golden, an economist at Harvard. Marriage, let's face it, is on the decline in many different ways. It's true. Even in marriage-loving America, the marriage rate today is at an all-time low. So in 1960, two-thirds of all Americans 15 and older, yes, 15 and older, that's how it's measured, were married, 67.6%. By 1990, that number had fallen to 58.7%, and now it's around 50%. Claudia Golden tells us there are at least two big changes that account for this. 
in the U.S., one group of individuals who eventually marry, marry late. The current median age of first marriage has never been higher. It's 27 for women and 29 for men. Now, compare that to the 1950s when it was 20 for women and 22 for men. Now, that's very good because we know from uh, lots of different work that later marriages causally reduce the probability of divorce. So this helps explain not only the lower marriage numbers, but also the lower divorce numbers. But that's not all. One group is not marrying. There's the lower educated, lower income Americans are not marrying for lots of different reasons. So I I wouldn't say uh, that marriage is still the institution that it once was. So if marriage is not the institution it once was, what does that mean? How does this affect the rest of society? That is the question we will try to answer on next week's episode, which is part two of Why Marry? Turns out we are not the only ones who are asking that question. It doesn't make sense, the whole institution of marriage. I prefer to being single and free. I think finding a partner is damn hard. Why people get married? I have no idea. And a lot of people ask me why I'm not getting married. You beautiful and this and that. It it doesn't work with me. In next week's show, we'll bring in a new cast of characters to look at some of the consequences of the marriage drop. In just six years, half of every kindergarten class in this country is going to be the children of single moms. And if the old model of marriage is less attractive... How about a new model? What you're describing is a move away from a one-size-fits-all contract that's written by the church to a couple sitting down and writing their own contract. Freakonomics Radio is produced by WNYC and Dubner Productions. Our staff includes David Herman, Greg Rosalski, Greta Cohn, Beret Lamb, Susie Lechtenberg, and Chris Bannon. If you want more Freakonomics Radio, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or go to Freakonomics.com, where you'll find lots of radio, a blog, the books, and more. So should I do it full out? Okay, ready? Mowage. 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 Knowledge is what brings us together today. <laughs> oh, that was good. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. 
What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. 